Hey, Sandy. Hey, Nora. It's been a while. It's been a while. So yeah, I you know I went on a little vacation, which wasn't much of a vacation because every time I vacation, I just do other work. <laughs> but I will say that it was a productive vacation. How was your little vacation? My vacation was really great too. I, uh, of course, I got into one of those awkward situations where you meet uh, your friend's girlfriend for the first time, and she's like, "Oh, you're that girl that went viral in April," and you're like. I'm so far away from Canada right now. How do you know about that? Ooh, that sucks. <laughs> it was okay. She was cool about it, but I was like, right, I can't, uh, I can't run away from this stuff. But, um, but it was really, it was really nice. Yeah. I mean, I think the weirdest thing that happened to me on vacation was like an almost appendicitis scare, in which I was rushed to the hospital, and then just as I was going into surgery. I was told it wasn't appendicitis and probably something to do with women's health that they have no test for because women's health. <laughs> that's that's definitely a future episode is uh, how little <laughs> how little men know about women's body and how women doctors get cut up in that uh, sad reality. Most definitely. And in case you're wondering, I am fine now. But my recommendation to all of you is to get a cousin who you live with who's a nurse. <laughs> it totally helped in my circumstance <laughs> yeah yeah actually no clandestine nursing is so important because i think a lot of us rely on those kinds of should i be having this looked at or what <laughs> <laughs> yeah not only that uh he happened to know the surgeon in the in the hospital that helped oh. things move along oh. faster um so anyway wow. i know very very lucky what happened while we were gone Nora? what's going on i feel like absolutely nothing happened in the world no it's been pretty easy nothing of note you know things are quiet in canada land everyone's on vacation yeah every on canada land everyone's on vacation uh no one's uh fighting back uh. <laughs> um yeah the governments Ooh. are running smoothly we have nothing to report my friends no no it's like actually we are even closer to the revolution than we ever have been before oh i mean <laughs> not our revolution that's that maybe that's the problem is we are closer to their revolution than we've ever been before mm, touche thank you okay so thank you what's what the fuck is going on so I'm not in Ontario, and so I'm watching all of this from the smug distance that a thousand kilometers from Queen's Park gives you or me. <laughs> but it seems that all of the pundits were wrong. What do you mean? That- what pundits were, <laughs> were wrong? Pundits are wrong. Everyone that was like, don't worry, Christine Elliott's not going to let Doug Ford go completely off the rails. Obviously not. This is the progressive conservatives we're talking about. That's right. This isn't the Canadian alliance. No, that's right. And Bill Davis is there to like punch people in the head if they try to do something that's really out of line. So this was what we were assured that Doug Ford's not going to be that bad. And maybe, maybe you are of the opinion that he isn't actually that bad, that... (laughs) You can't even finish the sentence. I saw you. I could feel it. You're searching for something to end that sentence, but it's it's proving difficult, isn't it, Nora? It is a shit show. I was saying today that it is as if every (laughs) shitty, tiny Tory that we knew at the university level, as a tiny Tory, got 
like their hands on the levers of power. They did. That's what's happened. Yeah, that's, that's what's going that's on. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It's um, you know, uh, you know, everyone's worst nightmare. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, we are both in jurisdictions right now that are having uh, elections. I mean, ours isn't provincial. Yeah. Yours is provincial, clearly, or national, yeah. depending on. You know how you phrase that on the language you're talking about. <laughs> the language you're talking <laughs> yeah. about it in, and uh, ours is you know municipal uh, elections are happening all over the province in Ontario. Uh, maybe not in Toronto though. <laughs> we shall see how this all plays out. It is we are recording this on Sunday, September sixteenth, and the legislature of Ontario is set to sit at midnight tonight. <laughs> <laughs> to to um, use the notwithstanding clause of the charter, which can we stop calling it that? I'll talk about that in a second. To use the notwithstanding sure. clause of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms um, that allows uh, an override of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms by a provincial government in order to push through the legislation that would allow them to have a vote um, this October for the municipal elections. Now, uh, for those of you who are, who are listening, I don't know if you've seen the news, but the city clerk in charge of running such elections has since hired their own legal counsel, put out um, a, a notice that they're hiring their own legal counsel and said that they do not think that it is possible to have the elections uh, run on time because as some of you may not may know, may not know, uh, early voting starts on October 10th. <laughs> <laughs> and if they pass the law tonight, tomorrow or whatever, you know, tomorrow early in the wee hours of tomorrow morning, not only will the election be, you know, the, the province will be saying you must have the election in October. They're going to extend the nomination period for a couple of days. And then the city clerk is going to be responsible for making sure that everything is in place, uh, both electronically. So, so some of the, the voting machines, uh, there are, are electronic voting machines, that the mail-in ballots are in place, that, you know, they're checking all of the nomination forms, all of that within a month. Now, I, I you know, as mm. most of you know who are listening, used to uh, assist in student union elections and... Um, <laughs> You know, for a freaking students union of the size of a size of like fifty thousand people, um, we needed three months. So I don't really know how this is gonna happen. <laughs> I'm laughing hysterically because there's not really anything else you can do. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm just thinking about how a couple of months ago we thought that the funniest thing possible in Ontario politics was Patrick Brown's late night press conference <laughs> and this is just blowing it out of the water <laughs> yeah yeah doug ford fug dord you win uh, <laughs> you win oh my god he's my new idol for how to serve revenge cold <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if he's a scorpio should check that oh, out. oh i don't know yeah that's a good question i, I he's just like this guy sat at Toronto City Council for four years. He did fucking fuck all, and mm. except probably brooded and then drew like pictures of his enemies with like knives in their heads or like them getting punched in the face or whatever. And he's like, someday, someday this will be mine. I will do this to them. And then here we are, literally like playing out the fantasies of a of a fucking fifth wit. <laughs> 
he is a Scorpio. We have something in common. <laughs> I feel like I understand him more now. <laughs> he shares he shares a birthday with my mother. So, you know, this is all coming together. <laughs> wow. Which I can't. Can I ask the date? Just so I know. It is November 20th. Okay. Because you know who also was born on November 20th? Who? My kids. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, let's talk about this. Things that yeah, it's are... like a, <laughs> the time for fun is over. Now we're going to be serious and sad. Yeah, now we're going to be very, very serious about this. So um, before we get into uh, what I know we're going to talk about, which is like, guys, the fight back, what's going on? Um, yeah. I just want to talk very briefly about, you know, why this is happening. So this is, yes, happening uh, partially because of... Uh, you know, Doug Ford's experience on council and his longstanding wish to make this happen. But it's also happening because of the changing face of Ontario politics. And I don't think that this can be overstated. In the last Uh, provincial election, a number of racialized people, black folks and indigenous folks were elected. Um, There's definitely been a polarization uh, between, uh, you know, the left and the right in Ontario. And I think that we are seeing a backlash of that. In the municipal elections, uh, there were, there are currently a number of people uh, from the black community, from racialized communities who are set to run and look like they were front runners in the new wards. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we've got Asma Malik, who uh, was, you know, uh, being expected to win a ward. I can't remember which number it was, uh, where I used to live, actually. And she's just announced that she will not be running if um, no. if, if they go down to a 25 ward uh, system. Because someone else is running there. Yes, exactly. And, and there's a situation where uh, Kristen Wong Tam and Waleed Kogali, both who were, you know, um, looking to be elected, uh, looking like they were both going to be elected if it was a 47 ward race. Um, if things go down to 25, they'll likely be running against each other. Right. Which is a perfect uh, situation for someone like George Smitherman, um, the center right <laughs> person in mm-hmm. in that race, um, to be uh, to win. Yeah. So it's it's rough. Like, I I think that a part of the reason that this is all happening is because of the shakeup that it would cause to uh, city politics. What would that do injecting all of these racialized people, more women, uh, more black folks onto council? What would that do? I think that we would have seen a lot more. But I'm speaking as though this is a foregone conclusion because it kind of feels like it. But I think that if we were um, to stay with the 47 ward model, not to say that this is like a perfect situation which would, you know, solve democracy in Toronto. That's not the the point. But there's certainly way more interest right now from particular communities in representing one another on the council. And I think that that would have resulted in just by looking at some of these platforms, more investment in social housing, more investment in social programs that uh, the poor and racialized and migrant communities in Toronto really need. And so mm-hmm. I do think that a big part of this is that this is a massive backlash from the yeah. Doug Fords, the Mamaliti types, the Karajianis types. And uh, they are trying to make sure that what happened in the provincial election does not happen in the municipal elections. But it's really funny, too, because there's um, there's an economic shift that's happening in Toronto at the same time. And 
it's 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 like how do you economically disenfranchise people and we've talked about that on this show you you push through gentrifying policies you break up uh social housing communities that have been together for a long time you um you don't stop condo developments where you should stop condo developments and that that economically disenfranchises people within the city and then of course no rent control and the the tax base means that the city becomes a city for the rich only which Toronto has rapidly become so at the same time, we're also seeing an attack at the political level of disenfranchisement because Doug Ford is very smart. And this is where I think that a lot of pro- uh, progressives, people who are really engaged in pro- progressive politics in Toronto, I think that they've missed the mark on this. Ford is doing this because he knows that the average person probably isn't about to set themselves on fire over this council change. And so for people who are excited about Waleed running uh, and who may have gotten involved in his campaign, maybe not, but at least saw themselves represented in Waleed and his policies and his campaign, are more likely to just be like, fuck this. This is this is ridiculous. I'm not wasting my time, which is exactly what someone like Ford or someone like Tory would want. And so, and so trying to push against that disenfranchisement that gets even more intense when uh, at the same time you have a political world where average people aren't actually engaged in municipal politics already. Like we already have had these problems. We've already identified the problems of representation at Toronto City Council. Ford is like, this is perfect because in the polls, like, is he going to get negative reaction from folks in Barrie or for folks in North Bay or folks in fucking Woodstock? Like, unlikely because it, it, it all has the markings of of a beef. And Ford is just like, whatever, I've been elected and I'm going to do what I want. And I think that that's really that's a really dangerous sentiment because the left hasn't figured out how to effectively frame that and effectively fight back without it making look like uh, exactly this pissing contest that Ford has made it look like. And as much as those communities won't be as upset, they should be because an enormous amount of resources are going into right now stopping this election from happening maybe because it kind of looks like that's where we're headed. And if that is the case. My understanding is that there's a provision in the in the law that um, allows the province to then run the election, um, you know, like as a steward. So even yeah, even if even if the election doesn't happen, it it benefits um, Doug Ford and Camp to continue in this manner. That's so amazing because that's isn't that like not too dissimilar to what's happened in Detroit. Oh, I'm not familiar with what's happened in Detroit. Well, in Detroit, the city like got uh, a level of debt because of the way that the taxation base works, and the and the state was like attacking Detroit for all, all the reasons that you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, that eventually, that the the city, or at least the school board, and then I think the city was taken over by a custodian oh, yeah. to be able to like quote unquote clean up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of conversations about how this is like one step before totalitarianism or whatever that Ford's doing. But I actually think that what he's doing is far more uh, intelligent than I think people think it is, even if the underlying reason to do it is just to settle scores. Mm-hmm. Mm, so what should people be doing? Well, OK, so I, I think that the, the, the one difficult thing in all of this is that Ford has moved much faster than he than the opposition has been able to move. And so you've got opposition like that are people who are invested in the election because they're either candidates or they're, you know, they're more politically engaged than the average person. And um and I think that it's left them in a position being like, holy 
like, fuck, what do we even do? Because you're actually fully invested in the election. But then there's other groups like, you know, labor or other social movements who uh, I, I'm not sure, especially labor. I'm really not sure uh, what took so long for people to start saying, whoa, 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 whoa this is a big problem. Because these attacks, like... I guess maybe we're just so used to back to work legislation being imposed, but like, you know, the first piece of legislation that Ford imposed was back to work legislation at York. Um, and then uh, mm-hmm. he waged his attack on teachers and then he's brought in this. Oh my God, we haven't even mentioned or hinted at the conversation we will for sure have on this freedom of speech bullshit on campus. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it just felt like it felt like in the summer, everyone was on vacation. And I know that that's not necessarily true, but it's definitely also to an extent true because Ford was first out the gates in his first 100 days. Like it was it's been an intense campaign of shock and awe. Mm -hmm. And the response has not been it has not been. Oh, my God, this is a shock and awe campaign. and We need to actually like. Fuck, I don't know. Like, I I cannot believe nothing has been occupied yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at. It's been, I, oh, I'm just like kind of distressed over this because it's <laughs> like, mm, I get it, but we don't need another rally at Nathan Phillips Square. No. You know, like um, packing the, packing the, uh, the, the gallery to watch um, uh, the, the debates happen is necessary and I think should happen. It's useful to an extent, mm-hmm. but it's not the only thing that should happen. Nope. Um, the open letters that are being published, great. In but like Ford doesn't read. Yeah, you know, like it's it's not like that. That type of organizing is you know consolidating a base, which is great. Okay, great. You're yeah. like you're you're yeah. speaking to your people. You're giving some information as to what should happen. It's it's good, but the like the level of attack that this is warrants a much more intense level of fight back and. I don't know why it hasn't happened. <laughs> it's making me quite distressed. It is distressful. And and part of it, I think, is that we fully have lost on the left the understanding of how democracy is supposed to work. Because what we've understood democracy to be are more or less enlightened individuals operating in good faith, but who might have different opinions on political issues, right? So, mm-hmm. like, the, the progressive conservatives built... Ontario's college system. Uh, they built Ontario's like public health care system. And so there there has to be some vestige of that in the party currently is all you can kind of fall back on unless you're just going to be like, no, actually, everybody's a complete fucking asshole and they are actually going to screw you the second that they can. And I also have to say, mm-hmm. aside, as you know, I know a lot of the members of the Conservative Caucus and I am fucking mm-hmm. so disgusted by people like fucking... Jim Wilson and Ted Arnett and Mm -hmm. fucking certainly Christine Elliott. Fuck you, Christine Elliott. Like all these people who apparently always pretended to care about people and obviously they never did. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. But in a democracy, it's like, okay, so the NDP, uh, the NDP has, I I have a lot of criticism of how the NDP's operated with this. I don't think that they've been strong enough. I don't think they've been loud enough. And I don't think that they've been mobilizing the people that voted for them well enough. But at the end of the day, in a majority government situation, the NDP can only do so much. And legislatively speaking, they are currently at that limit. They're doing as much as they can, right? Disrupting debate and and getting kicked Mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. and filibustering and refusing to give consent. Like that's all really important stuff. But 
we live in a democracy and democracy is not simply the political parties that are elected. Democracy is also non-state actors like the labor movement. And the labor movement is where you mm-hmm. have people who are also elected, who also have legitimacy, and who not only have certain levels of power when it comes to their own community or maybe managing resources or whatever, but they have the power to shut down the economy. 100%. And and this is what is what I like. You're saying that you're distressed. I am pissed because it's like you're this is literally why we have the labor movement. This is why we pay fees. This is why we do trainings and have events and build capacity. It's to be able to stare down repressive governments in a situation of crisis. And I get it. It has been a long time since we've had a situation of crisis. This is far worse than Mike Harris. Clearly, we're in the mm-hmm. we're in the early fucking days and, and Ford is coming after your dues. Absolutely. Next, even if he takes the notwithstanding clause because he decides that the last federal um, Supreme Court ruling, the Saskatchewan versus the Saskatchewan Federation of Labor or sorry, vice versa. Um, he will use Section 33 to, to get out of the freedom of, of, of association guarantee of union dues. And so it's like, what fucking point does it take for the labor movement to say, oh, my God, we actually do need to shut down this economy. And mm-hmm. you can start with Toronto because this is this is an objectively unbelievable attack on democracy. It's like, you mm-hmm. want to fuck with the size of city council? Do it whatever the fuck you want. Don't do it when an election's already started. Yeah, yeah. When you're clearly, and when part of the motivation is clearly gerrymandering the vote. It's like, clearly. I, it's, it's you know, this is, um, you know, step one. It's like test one of a four-year plan that I'm sure exists. And if it doesn't exist, it's being created, right? Like they're, they're testing right now just in Toronto um, what is possible. And um, I, you know, like if you don't if you don't see this as a precursor to right to work legislation um, or, you know, a uh, an attack on the on the right to organize in this province. Like I don't understand. Like <laughs> you, you have to see it as as the first step in something else that's coming because you know he keeps saying everybody knew that I was going to do this when um, you know obviously his his platform was non-existent all he ever said was that he wanted efficient government well that can be expanded to mean so many different things and almost the entire public sector um, is a bane on the conservative uh, conservative definition of efficient government so like y'all watch out. Like, I'm, I'm really nervous about what that's going to mean for um, the organized public and private sector across the province. Totally, totally. And the other reality is if labor's not going to do this, then there literally is no one else that can. Like, there's mm-hmm. literally no other structure that has the capacity to, to stage economic interventions and economic disruptions to the extent that is necessary to stop a steamroller like Ford. Like, there is no other mm-hmm. ones. Like, no, the, the Workers Action Center and the Fight for 15 is not going to save you, right? Black Lives Matter is mm-hmm. not going to save you. Like, it is, like, not conceivable that, that, that dedicated, organized groups of people are more powerful than an entire than the whole auto industry or then the, you know, entire health system, right? Like there, we have tangoed way too long within organized labor 
with neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. And we have tricked ourselves into thinking that playing well with politicians is the way to get things done. It's like you should play well with politicians for PR and that is it. And the limit of playing well with politicians is good PR and that is it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And don't wait too long to realize it. It's it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, that's it. Don't wait too long to realize it. Like I just, you know, I don't, I don't know what the the organizing conversations looked like the day after the election, but I'm hoping that people were talking about things like right to work legislation and um, an attack on the right to organize. But if they weren't, I hope you're talking about it now Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and planning something because, uh, you know, now is going to be like now is the test. And so let's not fail this test. Um, But if we, do let's make sure we don't fail it the second time like I I don't know what else to say about that you know it's just it's a brilliant it's actually a brilliant execution from Ford you know I don't really know what else to say about that like he's uh their government like this is it's a brilliant execution it's during an election where uh, many other organizers who would who would be able to respond are also concerned about an election and now um, they're they're running from plan to plan because the plans keep changing yeah. and and also have to negotiate with one another around uh, things like is, you know, what what does it look like if Kristen Wong Tam and Waleed are running against each other? If Asma Malik and Joe Cressy are running against each other? I'm not sure if that was the shakeup. <laughs> For example, I assume it was. Um, I think I think it actually was. I'm not I'm not positive, but I think it it um, it is. It was like Joe Cressy or Asma Malik, and it's like it's I, like step aside, Joe, <laughs> let Asma run. <laughs> I don't know him, but I would say that to him. <sighs> yeah. Um, uh, and so those conversations are happening, I'm sure, because they have to be, which is exactly what, you, you know, launching some, an attack like this at a time like this is designed to do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's smart. Yeah, it's super smart. And we don't and we're not giving people enough credit. Right. Like there's a, there's still a lot of snickering about um, the incompetence of the conservatives. So a lot of people are making fun of Caroline Mulroney for being a Mulroney and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, do that for catharsis, but do not confuse that for political analysis. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if Sam Oosterhof is a complete fucking dweeb who needs to, like a wedgie. Like that actually doesn't matter. It's fun to think about giving him a wedgie. But at the end of the day, this guy's a fucking lawmaker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk. Can can we talk briefly about the fact that everyone's talking about the notwithstanding clause? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just like unless you want me to section thirty three this conversation and say no. <laughs> okay, let's. Mm, wah, wah. So, not section thirty three <laughs> being the notwithstanding clause, if you didn't know. Um. So, notwithstanding clause. I. Yeah. I I think you know one thing that I think uh, the conservatives or the you know the political right does so well that the political left struggles with is naming things or renaming things or, you know, yeah. attaching a feeling to a name, you know, like they, they're able to turn the idea, you know, they, they say, I don't know, uh, far, far left, I don't know, freaking socialist over and over again. And all of a sudden socialist is a bad thing. I don't know. That was a bad example. Yeah, yeah. Or right to work. Or like right to work. Yeah. is a great one, right? Like it's like you have, you deserve the right to work if you want to, like they, they name things really well. Um, but, but right to work isn't about giving you a right to work. It's about, you know, tearing down your right to organize. (laughs) It's like, you know, they're really good at effectively what is branding. 
And uh, the notwithstanding clause doesn't mean anything. I know that uh, people uh, were really confused by it also. Like, what is this notwithstanding clause? It doesn't really sound like anything that you should be concerned about. Like, I think people should, you know, as as uh, progressives, we should be talking about it as what it is. Like the the clause that allows override on freedom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like right. the freedom override he's using the freedom override or like something do you know what I mean I just it really <laughs> frustrates me that you know you insert something like this so thank you Chrétien for this you insert something like this into the charter of rights and freedoms and you call it the notwithstanding clause like come on <laughs> really oh, yeah. can we just give it a yeah. better name so that people understand what it is and that people are able to respond to it appropriately because a lot of people have never heard of what uh, this notwithstanding clause is are trying to look it up Maybe they're not trying to look it up. Maybe they're just hearing it on their television, notwithstanding clause, and they're like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah, yeah. it doesn't seem like anything, and I think uh, we have to do a better job at that kind of thing, that kind of organizing skill. Yeah, I, f- I found that whole discussion really interesting because obviously I live in Quebec. Quebec is no uh, stranger to the notwithstanding clause. Really? And I have, no, <laughs> not even a little bit. Uh, and Quebec used the notwithstanding clause for every piece of legislation from like 1982 to 87 or something. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I might be wrong on the date. So if I am like, don't worry about telling me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm actually, I, I find this whole conversation very interesting because it has exposed the great lies that Canadians believe about our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm-hmm. Go on, do tell. I'm often talking about how uh, federalism in itself, like the belief that Canada as a nation is a progressive entity and federalism is a progressive position. Obviously, I'm in the middle of a provincial election right now. And um, the NDP Quebec is trying to make like progressive federalism a thing. They are less than 1% in the polls right now. Oof. Uh, anyway, that's for maybe another episode. Um, but, <laughs> but I've never heard a good argument about how federalism in and of itself is progressive. And uh, instead, actually, what I see is nothing but proof that it is not progressive, that the mm-hmm. entire truth and reconciliation recommendations cut to the core about how the Canadian Federation continues to oppress and colonize and recolonize. And so I'm, I'm always talking about well maybe we should be thinking about what the constitution is doing for us in the negative instead of focusing on all of these rights and freedoms that it apparently gives us like what what the Mm -hmm. fuck rights and freedoms we have if it actually requires our politicians to be acting in good faith which is at the heart of liberalism right which is that these enlightened (laughs) bureaucrats are always operating in good faith right jean chrétien never Mm -hmm. really wanted it to happen like this right and it's like did he not? <laughs> like, and yet, what the fuck? You don't, yeah, you don't write legislation like that and be like, oh shit, it's getting used to break unions, to override people's rights to free speech and to free expression, and you know, it's it, it, it's so it, I can, so I've been very annoyed at how, how how many people have been like, holy fuck, like everything that Canada stands for is being attacked by Doug Ford, yeah, no. and it's like <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally, this is the Constitution. The Constitution, like nothing he's doing is unconstitutional because the Constitution has a fucking back trap of the fucking one piece a big pajamas. gaping asshole in it. A big, <laughs> yeah. big, big hole. That's what it is. It's an ass- asshole. Backdrop. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh god. Yeah. 
<sighs> and then you know i saw i saw a facebook post about this. i can't remember who posted this um i'll, I'll try to re- uh, figure it out and then post it later but someone posted like y'all like obviously this is possible like the constitution yeah, the entire obviously. the entire government like it was all created in order to run a colonial state yeah. obviously someone can come in and say nope can't happen because it is meant um it is meant for the queen to have supreme authority over everything that happens everywhere on this land yeah so yeah, if somebody wants to exploit that, they 100% can because it was designed that way. Ta-da. Well, how many fucking times has this happened to it, indigenous yeah. nations and yeah. governance? Like literally, yep. right? All the time. Exactly. All the time. And now people are in the city of Toronto. It's like, oh shit, that's, this, this really <laughs> blows. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no kidding, it blows. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like, okay, we have to be sober when we're thinking about this stuff. We have to I mean, ignore what the right-wing punditry is saying not, because, I know. Not okay. literally. You don't have to be sober when you're thinking about this stuff. Continue. No, you have to you have to think soberly, which doesn't actually require sobriety. There we go. Nice, eh? <laughs> and not get too romantic about it, because at the end of the day, like as you you've already said in this episode, like first of all, it's not even like city council in itself is functioning very fucking well. These changes are absolutely not going to make a function any better. It's going to make a function far worse. Mm-hmm. And nothing Doug Ford's doing is is unconstitutional. It's all very much allowed in the constitution. And very much worse than this, he's using constitutional wrangling, which everyone in Canada has been told to hate and to hate and to hate because eh, Quebec, oh, we hate the constitution. Oh, we don't want a constitutional crisis. Eh, the constitution, blah, 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 all the time. And then all of a sudden, Doug Ford's like, yeah, why the fuck are unelected judges telling me what to do? And it's like, whoa, you really do want to transform mm-hmm. Ontario. Like, mm-hmm. fuck. <laughs> Big time. That was, um, you know, just like a very wild, like either this guy doesn't understand what the heck he's talking about or he fully understands <laughs> what the heck he's talking about. And the only um, either way is is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> know if if that's your response is oh well i was elected and the judges aren't it's like mm, okay you either don't want know how our system works or you want a system that's closer to the states where people like literally are electing judges um based on on their political uh affiliation which is like uh wild, yeah, yeah. you know yeah mm. and then in addition to all this well okay wait one final thing to say on toronto uh, for me is just like um you know we cannot lose sight also on the fact that these elections, no matter how they happened, whether we were going to get um, more progressive people in, if we were going to finally beat Mamaliti, Tiffany Ford, <laughs> please beat Mamaliti. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> this is all. This is the only hope that I have right now <laughs> for these elections. <laughs> uh, if we were, you know, got people like Mamaliti out or not, John Tory uh, doesn't get reelected or whatever it is, we were still going to have to do a lot of work afterwards. To, to, to protect yeah. um, what little we have in Toronto and to fight for more um, that we need in Toronto and across the province because it's going to be a, f- a long four years. And uh, anyone who thought that it was just, you know, uh, you know going to be like some soft child play stuff, I hope that you've been jolted out <laughs> of that reality. Yeah. But we're going to have to get really creative about the types of services that we're going to be able to provide outside of the city, outside of the province. And again, it's going to take uh, unions and institutions like unions, like uh, religious institutions. It's going to take institutions that are already in place, educational institutions, 
um, you know, like it is really disheartening to see when when uh, Fugdord says, you know, we're going to have a free mandatory free speech um, shit on campus, which is really like we're going to make sure that these really hateful actors be able to speak on campus all the time. And and the institutions around the province through Universities Ontario saying, yes, absolutely, we agree. <laughs> you know, like that's, I know that you don't all agree because oh I know God, some of totally. you. And so it doesn't make sense for that to be the response. And it can't be the response over these four years. You are a powerful institution and you can speak um, using the power that you have in this province. And if not now, then when? I'm not sure exactly what you're waiting for. But in these years to come, we are going to have to think about the ways that we can provide services to the communities who need them most through the institutions that do have money that we have access to. Okay, also, there's this guy that everyone keeps talking about. Uh, I think his name is like Maxine or Maxime or Maximilian or maybe it's Alex. I have no idea. Mad Max? I almost don't want to talk about him, but I feel like it's news. I feel like it's Canadian news. Yeah, before we even mention this guy, I, I just want to say one final thing about Toronto for me is okay, have go. you seen have you seen the some of the posters at Jennifer Keysmat's rallies? I haven't seen a Keysmat rally to be honest. Okay, I saw a photo. I've seen this a couple of times now on on Facebook. So she actually has like a fucking printed out like I don't know banner poster or something that people hold, and it says "Stop the dithering." Oh my god. What? And it's like that to me is exactly what the fuck is wrong with the broad Toronto center left. It's like, guys, you got to get your shit together. Don't use words like fucking dithering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, that's just a that's an indulgent aside. But yeah, but Max, but Max. Yeah. Dithering. Not. Oh, I see it. I just looked it up. No more dithering. Oh, right. Right. It's like John Tory's biggest fucking crime is dithering. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (sighs) Okay. All right. Let's move on. Okay. His name is Alex, right? Yeah. And let's like not spend too much time on him because we we probably should dedicate a whole episode to what he's trying to do because I keep seeing conservative pundits getting it wrong again and again and again. Mm -hmm. But... What or how do you want to do this? You want to hear my take on the burn, or do you have a take on the burn? Maximum burn. My only take is that I've been ignoring all of this because I think it's really annoying. But <laughs> so I want to hear your take on the burn. Okay, I like I think it's very simple what he's doing. So Maxime Bernier is first of all not super smart, and second of all comes from a, a very safe seat in the Bose. Um And his father was elected before him, and he's basically been given his entire political. Career, which, oh, it sounds like Fug Dord, sounds like fucking Justin Trudeau. It sounds like, uh, you know, I guess that's all it. the political but, dynasties. Yeah. Carolyn Rooney, all these people. OK, but he he's a per, he's his only focus is on libertarianism. Right. The guy wants zero taxes and he wants to transform the, the, the Canadian state into a libertarian place. And I think that he's uh, embarking on this political party and using immigration as the issue to attract people just because he knows that it's popular right now and libertarian ideals are less popular. And he's going to try to use it as like a lever to get a bunch of racist fucks into his party to then get onto the bandwagon to push, push for zero taxes and his other zany libertarian ideals. As in you think that he's just using his racism as a, as a tool and you don't think he's committed to it? 
Oh, I think he's fully committed to it, <laughs> okay. but I think that so I he's say, far more nah, committed. I, I think he's committed to yeah. to being a racist piece of shit. No, no, for sure. But I think <laughs> but it's if you follow his political career, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like it's not like he's like the Kelly Leach of the Conservative Party, right? Yeah, that's why I haven't followed it because I'm like, oh, you're no one. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, but 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 I think it's interesting because most people are saying like this is just a vanity project, or he's. Um, He's, I don't know, just trying to exact his revenge on the Conservative Party. But it's, I think it's quite dangerous because basically he's astroturfing support where the support exists in the far right kind of reaches of the Internet or with a rebel media crowd or whatever. And he's trying to give them all a home to then push what his main goal is, which I think is like fucking <laughs> fighting supply management, mm-hmm. <laughs> the milk, the milk board. How, mm, I don't know how you know this, but okay, we're gonna. I think we're so gonna have to take. save that conversation for a much larger thing. But all is to say, I think, like I, I bring him up just to to be like, man, you know, the polarization of politics in Canada um, is really interesting right now. It's obviously happening around the world. I think it probably makes sense in yes. terms of how old Canada is. Um, compared to other countries around the world. So it's not like this weird thing that uh, people might think it is. But um, it's going to be a really weird federal election period, I think. It's going to shape up to be really interesting and strange. And it's going to be more of what we saw in Ontario, more of what we've been seeing in Quebec for a little bit. And... And they're going to give Bernier airtime as if he fucking deserves it. Oh, for sure they are. Because that kind of thing is interesting to uh, the news. It gets clicks. The fact that, um, you know, he's going to try to say all of the most incomprehensively, well, no, very comprehensively um, uh, (laughs) hateful (laughs) things that he can say, pushing the limits as to what is acceptable in order to get on television, to get on the radio. And um, we're just going to have to figure out how to respond to that. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be really difficult because we're already with like the the cards are stacked against against uh, us like average people who are concerned about this. And I'm thinking about um this past weekend on the radio show The House on CBC, which is like Can- Canada's national public affairs fucking political show, and I am critical of The House like beyond measure. Um but they had two conservatives, small C conservatives talk about the Ontario or the Quebec provincial election. They obviously completely ignored the fact that there's a fourth party running. That's about to make a historic breakthrough, but fuck whatever, I didn't expect anything more. And then the host pivots rather than being like, "Okay, so there's a consensus rising among the main the three main party leaders. What's what about this fourth party?" He was like, "Okay, and what about Maxime Bernier? What's he going to have an effect in Quebec?" Which is like a ridiculous question because he actually is a bit of a joke in Quebec. Like as much as immigration is obviously on the front of everyone's mind because it is a major issue within the provincial election, Bernier is not a serious fucking guy in this province. Mm. And so the two the two commentators were like, "Oh, uh, there's not there's not going to be an effect." Like, what are you talking about? Um, and La Presse, uh, probably through the Canadian press, had an article where they talked to Gerald Deltel, who's a, a, a conservative guy from Quebec City, and he's like, no, no, fuck Maxime Bernier. So, like, you know, because he's got this French allure, because people don't necessarily know who he is, they don't necessarily know what the boss is like, um, which is the riding that he represents, I think that we're going to hear a lot about Bernier that he doesn't deserve to have covered of him. Like, he should be fully, fully, fully marginalized because he hasn't even proven to be of anything. 
but we're going to hear him all the time because he's like a French guy who is saying the same kinds of things that you're hearing from far right movements around the world. At, at the same time, I think that there's also going to be movement from people like Paul Wells uh, who are who just kind of treat him like Trump, where it's mm-hmm. like, well, he's a joke and he's not serious and he shouldn't be taken seriously. And it's like there is space between him being very dangerous and him being not serious at all. And I think that we need to find that space. And that's where we need to put pressure on um, for the analysis to come out that actually is 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 borne out by reality. And I think that is a good place for us to close. So that's um, that's what's happening, everyone. Lots of elections. Um, get ready for election fatigue come mm-hmm. November of next year. But I'm... <laughs> <laughs> hmm.